Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Impossible Podcast. A uh, few housekeeping items before we get started. First, if you haven't left a review and you're enjoying the podcast, go ahead and leave a review on iTunes or Google. It helps us out a ton. I appreciate it. You don't even know. Second of all, uh, I'm doing a business course uh, through my consulting agency, Impossible X. Uh, it's a continuation of all the work we've done with funded startups and uh, bootstrapped companies. And it's about building an online business in 2018. It's uh, not necessarily like it sounds like a lot of online courses out there. It's not really the same thing. Uh, we focus a lot on mindset, a lot on strategy, and then also a lot on actually taking action. So the goal is uh, in four weeks to go take you from uh, an idea to execution and get started on your own online business. Uh, I'm not going to sell it too hard right now, but if you want to check it out, uh, go ahead and check it out over on uh, the business consulting site, uh, impossiblex.com. And uh, yeah, that's what we've got for today. Today's guest is Sinan Guler. He's a professional basketball player in Turkey. So he's got my dream job from when I was a little kid. And I had connected with him maybe a couple years ago. And I've been wanting to sit down and actually have a conversation with him for a long time uh, about basketball, about life, about entrepreneurship, about um, venture-funded um, ideas that he's working on. And it's uh, really, really interesting interview. I, I had an f- awesome time uh, talking with Sanan and uh, I think learning about how his basketball journey kind of started to change the way he thought and change the way he approached different things in life is something that's really interesting um, that you don't necessarily think about. It's interesting to see him talk about the evolution of his career and how he had to consciously choose to work on certain things um, over different periods of his career. Uh, in order to make things work. So I had a great time talking with him, super chill guy, uh, really fun to just talk basketball and uh, nerd out a little bit. Sorry if I get too geeky on uh, the NBA stuff here, but it's uh, it's a fun interview. I hope you guys enjoy, and uh, let's get started. And we're live today. My guest is Sanan Guler. I got that right, right? Yes, you did. That is correct. That's as yes. close as it can get. I was scared of an American, so that's pretty good. <laughs> I was scared uh, my American accent was going to come on too strong. But today, my guest is Sanan Guler. He's a uh, basketball player uh, for the world-known uh, Fenerbahce team in the EuroLeague. If you're American, you might not know uh, a whole lot about the Euro basketball team situation. But uh, as I found out, <laughs> and something we might talk about a little bit later, uh, I found out who Fenerbahce was pretty quickly by questioning it to uh, a bunch of angry Euro fans. So, uh, Sanan, <laughs> uh, welcome to the Impossible Podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Um, I know that you, you and I were talking a long time to make this happen. And I'm glad we're making it happen right now. Yeah, it was. Uh, I think we initially uh, talked what two years ago, maybe um, a year and a half at least. And uh, yeah, just going back and forth and uh, seeing what you were up to and some of the changes in careers that you've made. And uh, um, it's good to 
it's good to finally connect. Yes, yes, I'm very glad, and I have been following up all, on all your stuff and um, the hiccups that you run into along the way. And I'm glad that you're still standing up pretty strong. I'm still alive. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I was I was really excited about today's uh, interview because you do for a living what I always sort of wanted to do, didn't this is what I wanted to do for the first I want to say 22 years of my life was uh play professional basketball mm-hmm. and um you know I I grew up as a kid uh outside Chicago and I think it was a law outside Chicago that if you you know were any sort of athlete you had to uh emulate Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls and you play basketball <laughs> so that's all, it's all over the world i grew up imit- imitate everything that he has been doing so and so when you know i i don't even know when the first time i picked up a basketball was but i played basically from i don't know, how how old can you play basketball at like seven years old or you know as, as soon as I could play park district basketball um, I had a ball in my hands um, through high school and even through some like lower level community college level type basketball and uh, at some point in there I realized uh, I wasn't going to quite make the NBA um, you don't get a lot of uh, <laughs> a lot of uh, 6'2 white dudes uh, who can't jump and play pretty good defense uh, making the NBA so uh, I realized that wasn't going to be happening, but um, you, my friend, have uh, have made that happen with uh, quite a bit of success. And so I I would love to jump into your story about like how you got into basketball, uh, where that all came from, and just kind of have you take us through um, how you got started and how you made a career out of becoming a professional basketball player. Oh, thank you. Um, first of all, I think that the one joke that I do about how I got into basketball is. I'm I'm continuing the family business. Um, my father used to play basketball until the beginning of '90s, and he has been been like the point guard of the Turkish national team, which when these times between '80s and '90s and seven, end of '70s, it's not a professional sport in Turkey or in Europe. It's semi amateur where my father had to be a businessman on the side and play basketball at the same time so it was kind of those times where he was one of the best players in turkey and he ended up having two sons uh one older than me murat Can, who's also playing basketball right now and we basically were born on basketball court and grew up in it so for us um i think life without basketball was pretty hard to catch i think you know as soon as my brother started playing basketball around six or seven. Um, my mom kicked me out of the house because I was very energetic and hyperactive. So <laughs> she said, go follow your brother, do whatever you want to do in the gym. So I started bas- being in the basketball court around four, three and a half, four, just like that. And since then, I've been on it and I've been, I, I have been blessed to make this professional job. No, that's awesome. Um, what's the what's the setup for um, how basketball players are kind of developed and groomed in Europe versus the U.S. In the U.S., we have okay, you go to um, you know middle school, high school, AAU ball. Uh, pretty much, people <laughs> they have an idea of who the NBA draft picks are going to be uh, by the time you know who's going to be NBA ready uh, towards the you know end of high school. Yeah 
uh, NBA scouts already kind of have an idea. A lot of people do one and done. You get a few people that go through the college system, but a lot of times those four year seniors uh, aren't even as desirable as the, you know, the 19 year old uh, that just went to school for one year. So um, I know in Europe, it's quite a bit different. And a lot of times um, the European prospects are evaluated differently in the NBA. But as far as the developmental process, um, okay, you, you picked up a ball, at, you know, four or five. Um, what did it look like from there? Were, were you just playing on courts, um, you know, around Turkey or were you following your dad around, uh, you know, with his uh, team and everything? Or were you like in leagues learning fundamentals, um, doing, you know, uh, doing a little bit more organized basketball? Um, I think the main difference between American sports and European sports in general is the grassroots programs um, in the United States? As you said, you know, from middle school you can start performing in school teams, and you end up even like if you're if you're talented or interested, you can play at least four sports in one year as a middle school or high school student. And I know in high school it moves towards a two sport thing, and then in college you have to decide what kind of talent you have, and you move towards the sports that you're more more capable of doing or you have a chance of earning a scholarship. Uh, in Turkey, um, what we have is generally a sports clubs. Um, and where me and my brother started playing is where my father was playing professionally, like at the highest level as, as of an age group. And when when we started, it, it's a, it was a sports club connected to a school, a, a university in Turkey, but has no relationship as far as the university students could play in the team, but not many players actually managed to do that because as as far as my experience goes, it's very hard to continue as school life with a professional level basketball playing. So we started playing basketball in a sports club. I played them in that team until I was 16. And then I moved to Besiktas, um, which is one of the oldest sports club in Turkey. And it started off as a gymnastic club, gymnastics clubs, actually. And then after that, moved to soccer. And it is one of the um, most rooted clubs in Turkey. I played there for another year in youth programs. And then I was a part of their professional team for a year. But at the age of 17, um, it was I wasn't strong enough, athletic enough. I didn't grow up to my like full height at that time at the age of 17 and I wasn't finding I wasn't finding many options to for myself to be satisfied as as the basketball that I was playing so mm-hmm. I started looking for options on what can I do um then throughout after that period um I went to a basketball camp that my father was running at the time um it's it was a camp that's that was connected to the Turkish Basketball Federation, and they were bringing a lot of college coaches from United States, so they can oversee the camp and teach coaches and players some fundamentals of basketball. And I went, I met uh, Joe Cravens of Weber State. There, he used to coach Weber State when I ended up going to uh, Utah, and he told me that you know. I could be a decent player. I had a chance in the United States and in college basketball. Although 
I was late to apply for anything for Weaver State caliber team where D1 schools and NCAA has different rules and different approaches to process of uh, admissions and everything. So he hooked me up with Salt Lake Community College in Salt Lake. And I ended up going there for two years, um, learning American and college basketball. And throughout that time, then I moved to Carroll College to a four-year school in NIA. And it went on like that. So I had a chance to, in before becoming a real pro, I had a chance to get a taste of both European style of, you know, clubs and all that stuff. And at the same time, some taste of college basketball at the same time, too. So that's really interesting because you see a lot of um, – uh, I, I, I probably watch too much NBA. I don't really pay attention to any other sport other than the uh, NBA. But uh, you see, see a lot of uh, talk about American prospects going over um, – you know the guys, the guys who 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 just want to you know play kind of street ball and 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 throw up shots tend to go over to China mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, where they can just go do whatever they want. But then you hear uh, about you know if if they're really serious about getting back into the league or they want to um, you know like actually play competitive basketball, they'll go back over to Europe. So I'm really curious on. Um, and, and, and you've seen a lot of the European players that have come over to the NBA be really successful because they have um, a really strong focus on on fundamentals. And I'm, I'm curious from your perspective, kind of coming the other direction of what it's like, what are the main differences between, um, you know, broadly uh, uh, European basketball and American basketball, and then, um, you know, even college, the, the, the nuances between like maybe – uh, you know, college basketball versus, uh, you know, the club system that you're in and uh, how, how, how that differs from a, a European perspective. Cause a lot of times we'll hear it from an American perspective, but it's, it's different when you, you, you start in that club uh, environment. I think that um, from my time with my growing up, I think it changed a lot because now um, a lot of individual like trainers help, American players grow in fundamental ways. But I must say this. I also, when I was younger, between the ages of, um, I want to say, 13 and 17, I went to a lot of basketball camps in the United States. I've been to, like, the five-star basketball camp. I've been to a couple of Michael Jordan basketball camps, one in Santa Barbara, one in Chicago. Um, I went to Philadelphia 76ers basketball camp, some uh, some invitationals that Converse used to run back in the day with now ho- what Hoops Groups is doing. So I've seen a lot of kids at my age growing up in similar situations. And what I was seeing, fundamentally, Europe is ahead of American basketball until high school is over. Now I have to put aside the great prospects like... Um, Let's the biggest example we can give is LeBron James because he came right out of the high school <clears throat> knowing that he was going to be a superstar. Um, knowing that, like, the fundamental changes, we would, at, at, at those ages, at the age of 16, 17, we would play a lot better than the kids our age that are from America. Um, but... There is the they have a quick catch up line when college years start because in college 
what I tend to met, meet uh, as far as coaches go, they're more inclined on creating um, people, uh, improving people's life. And that means that they, they teach not only fundamental basketball, but also fundamental aspects of the life also. So a lot of catching up is done during college years. And I see that basketball becomes more fundamental in the United States when college basketball starts getting played. And and after that, you know, NBA is something as far as the level of basketball and quickness of basketball goes is something that's we cannot compare to anything else in the world right now. It's in the top level for sure. Um, now, if you if we look at the professional level and how the basketball is going, I think that the main differences of the top two leagues, NBA and EuroLeague, if we want to talk about it, is um, the tempo of the game. Is getting closer to NBA level in Euroleague, but I think that NBA uh, Euroleague it, like needs more physical knowledge of basketball. I think that because there are so many rules in the NBA that you know that I don't understand right now. Knowing some of them, I know that I couldn't <laughs> survive in the rules in the NBA because I know that there are some rules that does not belong in Euroleague. And okay. I think that that creates a more physicality in some ways. And at the same time, I know that the athleticism of NBA is uncomparable to anything else. Uh, and I think one more thing that stands out in um, EuroLeague that is being used widely now more and more in NBA is the team cohesiveness and not relying on one or two players of the team, but running some kind of team system. I think that the best example for this is San Antonio Spurs, of course. But I know, like, even though the the Warriors is, like, super quick team, since they're all super stars in the offensive side of the game, they know how to run together, they know how to share the ball, and they know how to run a defense that works out for their system. And I think that in Europe, this type of situation is more looked for in the teams and in the comings, coming of the successes of the teams in Europe. It's it's funny that you mentioned the Spurs because the Spurs, I think more so than any other team in the NBA, take um, explicitly take a lot of their tenants and their, their organizing principles from uh european <laughs> teams it seems like um i think you hear popovich who is the <laughs> i have to make sure I, i'm not going too fast for uh guys uh if you're listening on the podcast i might geek out a couple times about the nba so just hang on and i'll try to slow down if i get ahead of myself but greg popovich who's the coach of the san antonio spurs um talks a lot about how they um they brought over a lot of principles i think from uh the Argentinian team uh, down in South America from uh, that Ginobili was a part of, but then also um, I think like more so than any other team, the Spurs are, I want to say like half their team is international or something like that. And they've really kind of uh, one of the things that Popovich always talks about is that they're always looking for guys who are over themselves and that they buy into the team system and move the ball in the way. And if you watch Spurs basketball, they're always making that extra pass. They're always doing, you know, one little extra thing. Mm -hmm. And you can kind of, it's, it's not that the people aren't replaceable, but uh, you can kind of 
plug and play uh, people on a regular basis and, uh, you know, not see a huge fall off. Obviously, like there's a big, um, the NBA is built around stars. It's built around people, um, you know, specific players who can elevate your team to the next level. But the Spurs are kind of the one team in the, in the NBA that has kind of bucked that mentality. And they said, you know, we're going to have, um, we're going to have a bunch of people who are over themselves that are really good. They buy into the team system and, you know, we can kind of uh, p- plug and play them wherever we need to. And um, I think you're starting to see that. And it's it's interesting that you think um, or that you're seeing the influence from, you know, the American side of things, you know, come over there. Because I think uh, on some level uh, you're seeing kind of a European or at least an international um, influence on kind of how um, – NBA basketball is played in some sense. I think that one thing that um, I had been experiencing with college during college time, our coach, Gary Turcott at Carroll College, used to have phone calls with type of coaches that was running the same system in the United States. So they're kind of like, I wouldn't say educating, but they're conversing about their systems and solutions to some problems they face and this and that in United States and I think within the within the global globalization thanks to the internet thanks to the game games being live all over the place and everything I think that that possibility to expand your system expand your knowledge is right now um from one end to the other side of the planet so you don't have to you don't have to look for it too close and you can find something that you're looking for somewhere too far away from you and i think everybody's affecting themselves with everybody um in europe in the united states i know that we're taking examples as far as the plays goes as far as some kind of system goes as far as the player talent goes we're not only importing players from the united states because a lot of players come as you as you mentioned uh, we're also um implementing ideas that works and could works in the NBA and could work in European situation and European culture. Yeah. That's uh it's it's funny how um how fast the ideas uh permeate mm-hmm. uh across the globe and it doesn't really matter um you know what that idea is if it works it, it tends to be picked up on um and uh it's it's interesting. Um, one of the things that I I wanted to jump into was you mentioned when you were coming to the states or when you're you said you you hadn't get got into your full height uh, at 17 or 18 and you you weren't really happy with where you were as far as strength wise and all that um, and you looked to come you know to the states uh, you did four years in the states at uh, the two different colleges when did you have an idea that um, when did you have an idea that you could play pro uh, uh, back in back in Turkey? Um, was it immediately? Was your hey, I'm going to go to the states and uh, specifically spend the four years, get my degree, and then come right back? Was it hey, I'm just looking for a place to play for the next couple of years, and I can do that in college, and then it just showed up later? Or what? What was that thinking? What was the mindset there? Um, as you you know, you came to the states to to play for a little bit, but you know, in the back of your mind, were you just saying like, you know, I'm, there's no chance that I'm, or, you know, there's, 
this is the only pathway that I'm doing. I'm playing, I'm playing pro ball and there's no other options. Um, what was the, what was your mindset? What was your goals? Or were you just saying, Hey, I want to play for four years and then I'm going to go get a, <laughs> an office job or something like that. Yeah, well, I did, even though I thought about the possibility of ho- holding an office job, because that's basically why I went to college because I need to get a degree to actually survive outside of basketball when needed. Um, I think the day I set foot in Salt Lake the first night, I was thinking about coming back and playing pro no matter what. Uh, one thing that, uh, other than the physical um, incapabilities, one thing that pushed me towards going to the United States was the ideas floating around under my name, throughout my name. Uh, as I mentioned, you know, my father being a uh, some somewhat of a legend of Turkish basketball, I was perceived more of Nejati's son, my father's son, than my own entity. Uh, and I I kind of wanna I kind of wanted to forget that myself, so I could figure out what I am as far as basketball player goes. And at the same time, when I came back, I actually helped everybody else forget it also. Because when I came, okay, everybody was like, okay, there is, you know, Nejati's son, Murat Chan's brother. But at the same time, I had a chance to create my character on the basketball court as soon as I arrived because I was an unknown player when I returned. So that helped me um, look at things without a lot of prejudice, uh, I might say. And that helped me actually... Competing with my age players in college during those four years helped me come back and compete with anybody that I wanted to at the professional level. So I think it created a mindset that, okay, I knew, I felt, I always felt I was born to play basketball, no matter what. Uh, again, thanks to my father and the opportunities he, they, and my father and my mother showed me. But at the same time, as soon as I came back, I had the mindset ready to become the best player I could be. And uh, I I aimed for NBA, of course, even though I was coming behind as far as professional life goes, coming behind, you said about 6'2 and unathletic. I was a 6'3 athletic player. I knew it was hard, but I was trying my best to get to the top level that I can play basketball as quick as possible. Okay. What was... um. So, so two things there. Um, one, you see a lot of people um, come with that bag. Like I say, baggage. Like it's a bad thing. Uh, your dad, dad is a great player. That is, you know gave you exposure to the game early on. That's an awesome thing. You see a lot of players not do well with that type of pressure because there are eyes on you early on. Um, you'll see some players like <laughs> I think. I think the you know an interesting contrast is Steph Curry who everybody knows. His dad was Del Curry. He's an NBA player. He grew up around the game. He did really well. Um, you know, he's arguably one of the top three players in the NBA right now. Um, but like, so some, some players do really well. Then you see people like Michael Jordan's kids never did anything. Like, like I think they might've played like really low level, you know, maybe, maybe do one college ball for a couple of years, but they didn't really, uh, you know, build on that much. And so you see people take it a couple different ways. And this thing that sometimes people think is, okay, you know, maybe, maybe that's just like 
it gives him a leg up. Like our, he's got the genetics, he's got the connections, he's got all these other things. And some people aren't able to turn that into something uh, that you would expect them to. And so I'm curious, was it just the moving away and kind of becoming your own person um, that helped with that? Were there any like mindset tricks where you, you, you basically had to, um, you know, kind of play Jedi mind tricks on yourself or, or were there any other things involved in that situation where you said, okay, I need to go, you know, become my own person before I can come back here. And, um, you know, everyone else can kind of see me as my own person as well. Huh. It wasn't a conscious decision, decision for sure, because at eight, at the age of 18, knowing that, you know, um, all of the kids at the age of 18 are full of themselves. They can talk all they want now now i look at it it's it's a different situation but i didn't think that but as soon as i return and you know as 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 i start growing as a professional player in turkey i realized the four years i spent in the united states and four years away from my family my social life and everything solely focused on basketball helped me grow as a person a lot uh it, it changed me it changed my personal character more than I think it changed my basketball character. I think that's the that's the main gain that I earned going there. Okay, that's interesting. Um, so as you're coming back, uh, so you you spend the four years in school here in the states, mm-hmm. um, out west, like Montana. It, it, it was Montana and it was Salt Lake, right? Salt Lake. Those are the two spots. Salt Lake first two years, Montana next two years. Yes. Okay. So that's like quite a bit different than Turkey already. But uh, <laughs> the so you, you come back and you said, you know, you're kind of gunning for the NBA. Um, what was your plan? And uh, so I'm assuming you're what, 21, 22 at that time? When I returned, um, I was 23. 23. Yeah. And so, uh, and this was in 2006. Two, 2006. Okay. So, you're you're still gunning for the NBA. What was kind of your plan? Like, how did you you know see about going about that? And then how did you end up uh, in the uh, um, back in the Euro system? Um, what like as soon as I see our season was over in Carroll College, um, I started figure I started to to figure out how I can get myself to NBA tryouts and how I can proceed on finding some kind of solution in the United States. And I, I start talking with one basketball agent who, uh, whom I met during the national championship. And we started doing some kind of like brainstorming on what to do. I knew my chances were low because one, we were not as successful as the previous in my junior year, we finished in final four in national championship in my senior year, we got eliminated in quarterfinals. So that kind of um, lowered my expectations in NBA level because from what I knew in the draft draft prospects, if you want to get in from NAIA league, you have to basically dominate the league all, all the way through. And not being able to do that, I had my hopes. I didn't have my hopes high at the time. And as soon as I realized that there were no options for me to stay, I returned and... I signed with my brother's agents and who actually who they founded their offices next to our house at the beginning of their careers. They have been my 
brothers more than agents over the past 12 years and i have been blessed to have them beside me in the in the making my career and we start talking about our options what to do how we can find a good career pathway or how we can find a good team and when i returned to turkey i got into two tryouts one with galatasaray at the beginning and one with darushafaka which the team that i ended up signing for and it was um for me it was a better fit at the time because the opportunity was a lot more for me to show myself i could steal a, a lot of playing time from players who are my age younger players some older players but i had a very viable option to steal a decent amount of playing time at that team and for me i think one more important thing was um with today's currency i was basically making around $600 a month okay. 10 years ago okay. so i think that coming back and earning earning some kind of money that is not crazy amount of money uh created some kind of hum- humbleness and at the same time some kind of hungriness uh side by side because i knew that i i needed to prove myself and i need to um believe in myself so i think that that option was very good fit for me and so i signed with darshafaka and that started my path on what i would say the luckiest 10 years of my life as far as career goes because i got some opportunities that not many people have the chance to uh in about 2 years i was a national team player in my fourth year back i played in the world championship played against the greats of united states in the world championship finals and and so on and it's it has been for me including my college years i think that uh i end up making the right choices in my life as far as basketball goes and it helped me as i said before it helped me more than basketball it helped me grow as a person so one of the things i want to touch on because i think this is actually really interesting is um i don't know uh are are salary records in the uh the uh, european system public um I think so. I think when players are signed. Do they yeah. have an idea of like, because that, that's one thing everybody always says, like, I can't believe you gave him that contract or whatever. Um, but is, can you give me an idea? So you signed, you said, you said you signed at like 600 bucks a month, yeah. which it's like money and you're getting played, but getting paid to play basketball, which is awesome. But at the same point, it's not like uh, a $15 million a year NBA contract or something like that. Um, but there is a range, right? Like, and, and I'm curious what the range is to, you know, what, you know, I, I have a point I'm getting to, but I'm curious what the range is on, on some of those European contracts. Cause I know you can go to China and they'll pay like, you know, some random guy, like Jim or Fredette makes $5 million or something like that. Or J.R. Smith makes, uh, you know, $3 million yeah. for four months or something like that. And so I'm curious, um, what the what the earning potential is in uh the euro league and if it's if it's as if it's just varying based on the the player's star potential or if there's kind of a a median salary range that a lot of people kind of fall into um i think that although there's no salary cap or some kind of system that nba uses here in europe um if we want to talk about euro league especially i think that 
Um, if you're not a, like, you could make between $250,000 and I think the most paid player right now is making around $4 million. Um, so there is a wide range, but at the same time, that all depends on the team's location, the team's economic opportunities, the sponsors around them, etc. All this stuff. Like, if you want to talk about my team, Fenerbahce, right now, I think our team budget this year is around $30 million. And we have quite like two or three more teams in a similar range. And I think the least in EuroLeague right now should be around six or eight million dollars i'm not quite sure i haven't really checked on it too much but i think that the least amount of team would be have the low parts the high parts of eight or nines or maybe around right around 10 or 11 million dollars as yearly budget um in other teams like for example in turkish league this varies a lot more of course and it's all depending on the league sponsors and the individual sponsors that the team or the city can can find. But for EuroLeague, I think that would answer your question. I know that not many players get up to what Fredette is making, but we do have quite um, quite the talent that comes up to that type of salary also. So so the, the thing I wanted to point out was, you know, when you first took your, you know, the first job and I, i've talked about this with um kind of job opportunities uh in the past is like um kind of how i started my career was i took a huge discount i almost got paid nothing uh to get the skills and the opportunities um to kind of showcase what i could do and then use those to kind of elevate my earning potential over time and i think it's interesting that you kind of took the same approach in your basketball career it was you 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 took you know 600 bucks a month. That's not a lot of money, mm-hmm. but it's an opportunity. And you turn that into, you know, playing from, you know, it, it I think it's fair to say Fenerbahce is kind of the most well-known team in Europe. Is it, I mean, that's kind of like you guys are the only ones that have beat an NBA team multiple times or something like that. Like that's the, those are the stats that I don't know those about, are the headlines that I've read. I don't read. know about the NBA story, but if you look at it right now, we, we are at the top, four teams or five teams that's been sustainable to come to the final four level in the past five or six years uh, every time. I know that Fenerbahce made to the final four last four years and won it the last year. So I think that that shows a lot of character in the team in itself. And just the, yeah, the reputation, you said it was one of the older ones. Yes. Um, and it's 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 interesting to see that um, you know, people tend to, uh, people tend to get really overzealous when, uh, you know, looking at, um, okay, you, you could have had an attitude coming back to Turkey or something saying, Hey, you know, you know, maybe still have a shot at the NBA, maybe not, but you know, while I'm here, I'm just going to like, you know, try to, you know, try to, you know, even sacrifice, like you're like, Oh, 600 bucks isn't a month. A month isn't that much, but maybe I can get like a thousand or fifteen hundred bucks. But then you'd you'd end up sitting on the bench, or you'd have an opportunity that wasn't as um, as good exactly. for you to to show the long term potential. And and by having that humility to to take a lower salary uh, in exchange for the opportunity, uh, you 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 know 
exponentially grew, you know, your, your long-term earning potential. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and not just about money, but like the teams you've been a part of and, and being cap captain of the, the national team and all these other things, like that doesn't happen unless you have the humility and, um, you know, willingness to bet on yourself. Um, exactly. And, I, and, think, and I, think, I think that's interesting. And I think, you know, the, the bet started with leaving home and going to Salt Lake. Uh, because I remember like this is one story that I I enjoy telling a lot because I remember getting on the plane with my father around the time when the world championship in, in Indianapolis was happening. So me and my father went to Salt Lake together. Next morning, he watched our practice and then left for Indianapolis to watch the world championship to return to Istanbul. And I ended up staying with, from my perspective was a high school soap opera because I would see these people who I would watch on TV as athlete jocks. Now I look at it like that and I would try to get used to living with them for the next year or so. And around that time, one thing, one thing that I looked at as a concern was being homesick. And I think basketball helped me over overcome that fear of missing home, missing my friends and everything because I was focused solely on basketball and improve myself and trying to get better than the teammate next to me so I can earn some playing time. Very cool. Um, as far as once you, once you got back to, to Turkey and you took this, um, you know, took this initial contract and, we 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 decided earlier that I'm not even going to try to pronounce this. Dar Shafaka, I'll pronounce it for you. <laughs> um, so once you took that team, um, what one? What was your game like at that point? Like, what type of player were you? You know, um, early on versus now, and then two. Kind of what was your your strategy for kind of working your way? Um, you know, up the ranks or, you know, kind of over continually improving, um, uh, your, your opportunities that were available to you. I would start again from college and before actually, uh, because at the time when I was ready to go for college without YouTube or anything, I used to download a lot of Jason Williams videos, the top tens and everything. So I, after imitating Jordan a lot on a hoop in my bedroom, I start imi- <laughs> I start imitating Jason Williams in real basketball, and this included the hairdo. I couldn't do tattoos at the age of fifteen or sixteen, but I could I could do everything that he was doing on the basketball court. At least I tried. And okay. as soon as I got to college and start playing in a team that had some kind of system. I realized turning the ball over while trying to make a fancy pass was not going to help me play on a team. Then I start figuring out what kind of physical physical attributes I have to earn that, those times. And over the year and a half, I end up being, you know, the best defender on the team in Salt Lake, which got me my second opportunity at Carroll College where I earned back-to-back Defensive Player of the Year and et cetera, which helped me create an opportunity to, you know, 
make my player character in Turkey. Uh, as soon as I arrive to Turkey, I start showing again my physical abilities, my athletic abilities, and my energy on the defensive side of of the things. Um, which I might add, when I returned from college basketball back to European and Turkish basketball, I needed to learn a lot of the basketball sense, which I didn't have much uh, in the beginning. But I had all the sense what I can put on the court as far as energy goes. And that energy, most of the time I spent, you know, pressuring the point guard or denying their best player from taking the ball or make sure that he's taking the bad shot when I'm guarding him, stuff like that. So from, from the beginning, you know, I created myself a, a challenge of showing my physical abilities on the court as much as possible. From now, then on, you know, from Darushafaka, I went to play for Besiktas again, where I played two and a half years before college. I played with one of the best coaches in Turkey. It's one of the best Turkish coaches in Europe, uh, Ergin Ataman, for the first time, where, again, I was solely picked on that team to show my energy, to show my athleticism, to show my defensive side of things. And that was my role on the team mostly. When I was on the game, I was guarding the best player of the opponent team, trying to slow them down or make them take a bad shot and et cetera. Which then, um, same coach moved to FSP, San now on the FS, and picked me with him again, where I played five years in total okay. um, with several different coaches. But again, throughout those years, I ended up again being a role player. Um, was not taking full responsibility because most of the time we would have some kind of European or American star in the scoring side or in the responsibility side, or I was playing with, I played with few best point guards of Turkish basketball uh, history around the time in the same team, both in national team and both in uh, league club teams. So in FS, I think towards the end, I was moving towards more some kind of responsible side, but mostly I was on the teams with the role of defensive mindset uh, initially. Then, after the fifth year, around 2012 or 13, I forgot the years now, I moved to Galatasaray, played there for four years, where my first year, I end up again with the similar role of defense, energy, and make sure that I have some kind of um, streak on shooting. I, 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 wasn't, I wasn't the best shooter all the time. I'm not the best shooter right now also. But I made sure that I was making the shot when the time comes. Um, gotcha. So in Galatasaray, maybe first year and a half, I was more of a role player. And then towards the end of the second year and on, I became more of a leader of the team with the age coming, with the responsibilities increasing, and with the role and relationship that I have with the coach. So I end up, you know, after the after the second year, I end up the the captain of the team, and at that point, I was also one of the candidates for national team captain. And I think that my national team career is parallel to the the team career that I have as far as the role goes. Like I was mostly a role player with defensive mindset at first, and then make sure that I use a lot of my energy on the court 
for defensive purposes. And then towards the end of the years coming, I was taking more responsibility on the offensive side as well. I I like the way that you talked about um, kind of observing your own game and then editing it, <laughs> like for lack of a better word, mm-hmm. um, as you progressed. You said, okay, I wanted to emulate Jason Williams. So I worked on dribbling, passing, all this other stuff. But then I quickly realized that <laughs> that also brought up a lot of turnovers. So we got to take that out. And then we got to bring other things in like defense, energy, and kind of actively... I, I, maybe editing is a good word for that. Um, like editing your own game and saying, okay, what is going to be helpful here? What does the team need? Okay, we have a you know a, an American star over here now. What can I do to, you know, if I'm not going to be getting the shots, what else can I do on the floor to, you know, make sure I have a spot? And um, I think that's always, I I think that's probably my biggest. <laughs> uh, uh, issue with my younger self thinking about how I play basketball. I was like, you just didn't really think um, you, you, you had a, uh, an idea of what you could do. Um, and then you didn't edit that. Like it was a, uh, it was relatively static from early on. And I, I, I didn't think um, dynamically enough about, okay, you know, what's changing on the floor now, you know, what needs to be um, uh, adjusted for. And um I, I, I like that you brought that up because it's kind of a I, I think about that a lot in entrepreneurial ter- terms and to see you kind of taking that same type of mindset and applying it to a basketball court is kind of interesting. Well, I think, um, I think we're going to get into entrepreneurship pretty soon, but I, I might add um, I'm 34 right now and I'm still doing the same thing because now I did change another team. I transferred to Fenerbahce from Galatasaray and I think that the one of the main things with the change is the systems of the two coaches that I played with. I played with Ataman, who had more more of a setup situation where we we all knew what was going on as far as the players, where they're going to be and everything. And now I'm working with Obradovic, which is one of the best coaches in Europe. Again, one of the like most um, decorated coaches for sure. He won nine EuroLeagues in 13 different final fours and i think that his system and rules are a lot different than what ataman and ataman used to play with and now when i look at it i need to change what type of player i am i need to change um what type of contribution that i'm going to make it to the team because i know that some of the talents that i have are uh, some of the talents that i have does not apply to the system here, the t- to the teammates here, and to the requirements here. Um, so it is a shift that I think that with age, one thing that uh, I might say is I cannot accept what I've done and um, copy it over and over again to do something else in the in the year coming ahead. I have to adapt to the system around me. I have to adapt to the people around me. I have to adapt to the situation or environment around me. And I think that that's the one thing that would keep anybody alive in basketball for sure. And in this situation with entrepreneurship, definitely. I think that's the one of the biggest uh, gains anybody can get from uh, this conversation if they're listening is being not accepting and relying on what you have and making sure that you can adapt and 
improve on everything that you you have been doing in the past no definitely um as far as uh, when when did you kind of have a realization that the nba wasn't going to be in the cards when was that like after the first couple of years or was that just um like were you kind of holding out on it or what was the what was the the thought there uh i had two time periods for that one is the last lockout time where i actually was planning to go to summer league that summer and when the lockout happens the summer league didn't happen so i couldn't go and i think that was my my real chance on introducing myself to NBA coaches and showing myself as a basketball player in the NBA level. And I thought about it a little bit this year when I was looking for a transfer, but at the same time, it would be hard for me to make that shift as a player and earn that shift as a player uh, in the NBA level at the age of 33. I, I, so I didn't put too much thought into it. Um, so there were two times that I thought about it, I might say, uh, towards the end. Okay. The, um, how, what, what is the length of a, like a Euro basketball career? So if you hit 34, I think that's what LeBron is right now. He's 34, right? Um, he's, he's right around there. So LeBron is like a freak of nature. He's, he looks better now than he's ever been. But then you also have people, uh, you know, I think Wade is up there somewhere. I, I don't know exactly where he is, but then he's starting to look like someone took a b- baseball bat to his knees. Um, he's looking good off the bench, but he, you know, he's um, with the NBA. Like you, you start to see players start to, you know, kind of wind it down or sometimes they just disappear completely after like, you know, after 32, sometimes uh, if they have injuries, they, they just kind of go away. Um, what, like, I feel like there's a little bit more longevity um, in the Euro um, the Euro basketball system just because of probably like games played and, and, and things of that sort. But um, how do you feel about like, as you're getting into 34, you, you kind of alluded to it, um, but you're not necessarily looking to wind down, but you're not going to have, you know, probably another 15 years left in the league either. So what's, uh what's kind of your mindset as you kind of shift to a different part of uh, your career here? Um, I think, you know, a high level basketball career i think can go up to you know 36 37 there there would be some lucky players that would make it to 40 i would show um navarro as an example uh he's a spanish player who actually celebrated his 20th year with barcelona and i think he's one of the like three or four players that left that is still playing, that's when EuroLeague started, basically, since EuroLeague started. So he's one of the, one of those few players who is Euro, EuroLeague legend, basically. And I think that, you know, at the top level, you could play until 36, 37. But if I want to continue in lower levels without the high competition requirements, I think I could play up to 40. Um, one thing that's the main difference between European basketball and NBA basketball is the frequency of the games and the importance of the games. Um, and I think in NBA, everybody's now talking about how they can improve the look 
the approach of people on the regular season games compared to the playoff games. And I think that's the one thing that's very different in Europe because, um, let me put it this way, I would I will open my calendar whilst doing that too. Um, today is the 6th. On Friday, we have a game in Barcelona, which is three and a half, four hours away from with flight here, from here. Then on the 10th, which is a Sunday, we have a game in Istanbul. Then next week, again, on the 14th, we have a game in Istanbul. And then next time we play Sunday in Bursa. Now, I know I can't compare most of the stuff that I'm saying in the NBA tempo as far as the game goes. But while the NBA is playing their games from November until March, April, if you're not making the playoffs, and from then on until June, our season starts officially with club in October and goes until June. And this includes this includes um, the 30, 30 regular season games of EuroLeague with playoff games. And we were counting with the coaches and the staff of, of the team beginning of the season. We would, without adding extra games in this run, if we make it to Final Four and if we make it to the final game and have a chance to win the EuroLeague Championship, we would play 72 official games total okay. with Turkish League and playoffs included. And for us, every game counts. Uh, there's no off games. If you go to some road game with, let's say, 10th of our budget in the, in the league, we cannot take a day off mind with the on the mindset because if we show up soft they're going to kick their kick our asses and it's going to cause a lot of things coming along the way <laughs> and it's it it is a different mindset comparing to the nba i think this mindset is the biggest difference because when we go out on the court every game counts and the one thing that's a lot of different is how you said you know there are a lot of players from america and from europe that are coming into Turkey because Turkey is, as far as financial um, look goes in Europe, it is one of the best countries to play for, for European and American players. And a lot of players come here, use the exposure to go to better teams in EuroLeague or come back to the NBA. And a lot of players who play in smaller teams in Turkey, they're only waiting to play against the EuroLeague's best team, Fenerbahce, because that's the best expo exposure that they're going to get throughout the season. And they're waiting for that game, and they come out strong. I can tell you that much. You know, it's, it, it, is, it is a different mindset, and you have to be ready mentally, physically, every single game that you, we play, basically. There's a, there's a physicality to... Um... Uh, European basketball, I think that maybe kind of the NBA has phased out over the past like 20 years. Um, if you looked at the early 90s, there's a lot of bruising and, um, uh, you know, a lot of people throwing elbows in, mm -hmm. and some some really uh, um, like people people really get into it. Um, I feel like with the more and more rules that the um, NBA is kind of implemented in the last 10 years where you know, you know hand checking um uh it's kind of really brought out this like uh 
you know, just the spacing and the the three point kind of revolution, if you will. Um, would you say that's accurate? Would you say um, there is a little bit more? Um, I don't. You you you've played against uh, uh, um, Americans, you know, both in 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 college and then um, national, you know, in your level. international play. Uh, would you say that's accurate, or am I am I off on that? I I would say it w- it is accurate, but at the same time, I don't want to like say that there is no physicality in the NBA. NBA has a lot of rules that prevents their stars, their players get to get unnecessary to unnecessary impact. And okay, health and injuries, of course, as important in Euroleague as it is in NBA. But at the same time, most of the rules do not apply to all us in Europe. Uh, I think one of the things is, is the spacing and the three seconds rule, both on offense and defense. And I think that we took advantage of, of a lot of stuff that's not shown in the NBA because of the rules and used it as physicality. And I think that, yes, there are more bumps and bruises now in the EuroLeague, but I know that when the time comes uh, and the dream team basically assembles, they're ready for that beating. Uh, they don't. They don't look at us and think the NBA rules are going to play out. They they come and they they come and they they start playing ready, and I think that shows the character that they have, and that that shows that the physical physical readiness that they have with the opportunities that they have in the in the United States. Okay. Um, so I've, I've got a few short, quick hitter questions for you. Um, and then I want to talk to you about entrepreneurship after that, and then we can kind of wind it down after that. But, um, I'm going to have some hot takes for you that, uh, you can either answer or not answer and, uh, you can let me know what you think about them. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Um, uh, I'm curious about who do you think a like an NBA player that you would uh, match up with well? Uh, who, if you could pick a, like any player in the NBA that you think you'd you'd, you'd match up with well, um, who would it be? Oh, that is a tough one. And you know, I'm as I as I mentioned, you know, I'm a six three, uh, one and a half. Like I'm a point guard slash shooting guard with not much to shoot with, and so. I have to check now, like with the current lineups, I can't think of any names because I know most of them will blow by me and um, I wouldn't really survive on the offensive end also. But um, like TJ McConnell on the Sixers or uh, Della Denova or, yeah, they, they're or someone else. Too. Who's like, like they, they're all like when I look at it, they're like kids, you know, 20s, 22s. Yep. Um, even now, like when I look at my teammates or people around me, like being that age, you know, I would give a lot of thought and money on returning to those ages and make sure that I would feel no pain when I'm jumping or <laughs> there is no pain and repercussions on landings and everything. So now when I think about it, you know, with the NBA level, I would need a lot of conditioning and physical practice to cope up with anybody on that level. But I can tell you this much, you know, no matter what happens, you know, we get on the court and we try to put our best to 
to beat one another. So I would take on anybody. I wouldn't be scared, but I know that it would be hard to survive to chase, let's say, you know, CJ McCollum, Steph Curry, yeah. <laughs> any of those guys, you know, when I start chasing them, I know that I would be out of breath in the fourth or fifth run side by side. I think I think the Kings might have someone. I don't know who's a who 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 I'm going through the point guard list and uh uh NBA point guard is or NBA is pretty point guard heavy right now, so uh that might be tough, but uh I think the Kings they like, perennially have someone on their team that's like their whole they're they need help. Uh, um, well, <laughs> you mentioned actually the Bulls. The Bulls need a point guard right now. So if you want to, we were uh, come as, over and help them. As you mentioned, the Kings. You know Bogdanovich is had, you yes. to be the used to be the best play one of the best players on on the team that I'm playing for now, and uh, it was not fun chasing him because he he <laughs> he is what he's right now twenty five twenty six I think and. He end up, he end up having a great confidence, and you know it was, I I'm gonna say it, it was a bitch to chase him around and try yeah. to commit like try to beat beat him on a basketball game, and it was a fun competition, and it's fun to actually like, no matter you know as I mentioned the physicalities and you know this pain and this and that at the age of 34, it's always fun to realize no matter what happens the mindset is ready to compete against whatever I end up coming up against basically. Yeah. The, um, well actually speaking about the Kings and guards, Vince Carter is 40 and he's, and, uh, crazy he's on the Kings. So still. like, he, he's still fast. He's, he's still dunking, but I mean, uh, I don't know. He's, uh, he's, he's the fact that he's 40 in the NBA is, is, Really impressive. You know, what um, you, you I, were mentioning about like how I was approaching in the game. I think that Winscard is a great example because he made enough highlights more than anybody, I think, up to close to the level of Dominic Wilkins in dunking. But mm-hmm. moving towards the end of the career, he's at the age of 40 right now. He showed up a side where he can shoot the ball and create a lot of advantage with using his physicality in a smart way you know, on defense and on other sides. I think that's a good example of improving yourself with the needed adjustments uh, in the back, in the game of basketball. He's been, he's been really interesting to watch because he, he, he's got that old man basketball game down yeah. where like he doesn't necessarily, he can still dunk on you, but he's not necessarily beating you off the dribble. He's not going to like necessarily blow by you, but he'll do these little tricky things uh, either like ball fakes or just like positioning himself in different places to to make the right play, and uh, yeah. th- that's one of those things you you always see these guys do these you know highlight reels and uh, then they blow their you know Derek Rose is a good example of someone who was super athletic and then as his knees completely you know fall apart not his fault uh, but he was super athletic and then as when his athleticism went away. Um, he's had a hard time readjusting his game to um, get back to being something that's super useful on the floor without being his, you know, hundred percent healthy self. So um, seeing Vince Carter being able to do that with, you know, the age and um, losing some of the athleticism, athleticism he used to have is really cool to see him continually edit his character and change his uh, type of game on the court. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. 
what what team uh, do you think your current? Oh, I don't. I, I'm not gonna say you, what team you guys think you could beat because I don't want to start out like an international incident and uh, <laughs> make people, uh, uh, you know, fly fly across the world for uh, uh, next year's preseason. But what team in the NBA would you guys like to match up with? Uh, just like a one on like uh, a one off uh, exhibition game uh, with one random team in the NBA. And you guys think you could put up a good fight? Uh, I think anyone, <laughs> no, no matter what, I think we would put up a good fight in any, any team in the NBA. I know that okay. it would be harder. Like it would depend on the rules and the length of the game. If we play in NBA rules, of course it's going to be harder to survive in the game, but mm-hmm. Um, I would want to match up against the Spurs. Uh, I it, okay. with Ginobili being a lefty, I have been following them a lot more than any other team in the NBA. And knowing Popovich and the type of basketball that they're playing, I would want to feel how that feels, even though I'm on the opponent's side <laughs> and not going to enjoy all those passing that's whizzing by my ears on any side but i would want to play against the spurs death by a thousand passes <laughs> um let's see what else we have um is there if if i give you if i had a ten thousand dollars and i told you i'd give you ten thousand dollars if uh you have but you have to beat one nba player this is sort of like the matchup one but a little bit different What's an NBA? What NBA player are you confident you could beat? Uh, I I wouldn't know all <laughs> of like, the I NBA players. I I wouldn't know all of the NBA players, but if I want to bet and try to try to win a one on one game, I want to play against you know Steph. I would I would want to play against Steph, um, Tony Parker. Uh, I wouldn't. I'm not gonna mention CJ because I played against with his brother two years in a row. So I liked, okay. I liked, I liked his game. But at the same time, uh, I know that it would be also tough to play against him. But yes, I would say, you know, again, I would add Ginobili to the list. Ginobili, Tony Parker, and Steph Curry. Okay. I'm not mentioning. So you, you'd play them. You you wouldn't promise that you'd beat them. Um, I have I I don't follow that much enough NBA to mention a name that I could beat. Okay, campaign on the Bulls is uh, currently I think in a boot, and uh, <laughs> he's we the Bulls are bad. They're really bad. They won like three games all year, I think. Um, so, um, I think those are my quick hits. I want to talk a little bit. Um. Uh, about entrepreneurship because we've gone back and forth a little bit about this mm-hmm. um, in the past, and uh, we, you kind of alluded to it with both, uh, you know, as you're getting to the back end of the career, but also just kind of that mindset that you've taken and you've built yourself. You know, uh, you know, basketball is, you know, for, for better or worse, an entrepreneurial type game where you're, you know, s- you can think of it like you're an independent contractor and you're selling your services on a, you know, a yearly basis to each specific team. And then you're trying to, you know, figure out what that team needs and provide them that in the best way possible. Yeah. Um, how have you kind of uh, come around to entrepreneurship both on your own? Like, is that just kind of a natural outgrowth of where your mindset's at? Um, are there 
actual projects you're you're working on um where's your where's your head at with that right now it started with like some kind of curiosity that i had from the beginning of childhood with basketball and at the same time with the college degree that i got i studied business and administration at carroll college i think that helped that that was kind of like in the back of my head that i could do something with it when the basketball is over as far as the professional career goes and and at the time i didn't know what but over the years i start i started finding opportunities on what to do and in 2011 me, my brother, and my father formed a company called Güler Legacy. And we basically, it's a sports organization company where we share our experience, our knowledge of basketball with kids in summer camps. And now we start to share, share it in other aspects of life, in corporate life with some kind of workshops and educational programs for corporate employees. And at the same time for high school students who are athletes at the same time uh, who, who need some kind of guidance to continue both their school life and be successful in sports as well. Uh, that was our first um, entrepreneurial uh, experience. We've been doing that since 2011, as I said. Um, since then, we ran seven seven summer camps in Turkey and we've been blessed with great um, partners in the run to make sure that we're doing the best possible basketball camp in Turkey. Now at the beginning of our conversation I kind of mentioned that I've been to some basketball camps in the United States and one of them, two of them were uh, Michael Jordan's camps, one in Emerson, Illinois, I think outside of Chicago and the one one was in uh, Santa Barbara. And I think going to those camps and seeing Michael Jordan face-to-face, being on the same court, trying to shoot free throws when he's passing you the ball, those type of experiences <laughs> stick with you from childhood. And I think that I wanted to recreate some type of influence like that. Uh, I know that I'm not at the level of Michael Jordan in any way possible. But not only as a basketball player, he was an example to me. I think from the business side and how you look at things, I took a lot of things from him as an example also. So I try to recreate the basketball camp that I've been to in Turkey. And while doing that, we also find some open opportunities in social enterprises because from the first years, we met with some kids from other cities of Turkey who are less fortunate in opportunities, who, who are less fortunate in finding places to play basketball. And we create a system where so far I would say we have around 700 kids who came to our basketball camps. Half of them, more than half of them came from 20 to 25 different cities of Turkey without pay, paying a, a, any kind of fee on transfers, transportation, and coming to the camp and being a part of the camp. Um, so I think that we create a good balance between uh, kids with somewhat of a scholarship and at the same time kids who are coming to pay their way in 
to to these camps and that 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 created an opportunity for us to embrace the fact that a kid from Istanbul and a kid from Hakkari which is on the most southeastern side of Turkey right on the border of Syria and Iraq i think you know finding that energy of 14 year old 15 year old kids being a basketball player on the court and knowing that basketball does not re- need any kind of translation to play um mm-hmm. that is the effect that gives us pride to do more and more stuff over the years and i think that it is a it is a great um gem for me to think about to cherish and to improve over the years when even when the basketball career is over with uh that's all like i i didn't know about the like the the foundation and the uh the scholarship aspect of the camps and that's pretty yeah. cool as far as as far as like the actual camps are they um are they like week long camps are they longer than that are they shorter than that are they like weekend camps like is They're- it I I I, w- I would assume from the camps I've been to, they're one week, but I don't yeah, know. Yeah, it's a week long um, camp. That's that's, that's that was our experience in the past. So we try to do that as much as possible. We start on a Sunday and end on a Friday, so make sure the parents have a chance to leave the kids and pick up the kids at the same time. And it is it is great. It's packed with basketball fundamentals. We try to find the best coaches that are available in the system in Turkey. And we, we are blessed that, you know, two of our head coaches of the camp right now has been with us from the beginning. And I think that that's a great energy that we created. And I think um, while we're mentioning a lot that this is a family business with the experience that we're sharing from my father, from my brother, and from myself, I think that we had a chance to, improve uh, increase the the dimensions of the legacy with the coaches that are joining the program with the volunteers that are joining the program with the kids who are coming to uh, to the camp from different cities and different uh, backgrounds i think that uh, that's the legacy that we're trying to share is the idea of the good fundamentals of basketball good being a good person on and off the court and make sure that everybody's having fun um, and go home happy and satisfied. Oh, that's, I think there's something about uh, meeting these people that you think um, are like gods, like meeting Michael Jordan and realizing he's a person. uh, It sounds kind of maybe, maybe obvious, but there creates a uh what's the word i'm looking for it creates a little bit of hope but it also creates the uh it it breaks the facade that these are like special people like michael jordan obviously is like a very 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 good basketball player he was born you know he's got certain physical characteristics that you know let him do the things that he was able to do but uh he's also just another person and i think that's one of the things that I've found when I've, you know, met some of the people that I've looked up to in entrepreneurship and business and online work um, that I think is really, really helpful, you know, for you like showing to 
to to students and athletes uh, wherever that you know, like, hey, first of all, like, it's about more than just basketball. But second of all, like, you know, like, you know, we've we've got this, you know, this family history, and we've got these things that we've done. But you know, I also you can share your story, and you can say, you know, I came back to Turkey, and I was only making, you know, like this amount of money per month. Um, but I did it to take the opportunity and to invest on myself and bet on myself and continually make those, uh, um, continually make those bets and, uh, you know, eventually get to where you are. Yeah, today. And, and I think that's really, really important to, to show people that that's possible. And at, on, on the other hand, you know, okay, we're doing a lot of partnership with the university that we're holding the basketball camps and with other brands and companies that are helping us along the way but uh, at the same time the experience and the plans that we're sharing with all of these kids and coaches and everybody that who's a part of this um i i must say that until it becomes a sustainable business i'm financing most of the situation and i think that more than um with sharing the experience, I think that investing in something like this and investing to a future where maybe one or more players come out of this program is also one of the hopes that I have. And that's one of the things that I'm looking up to and I'm excited about when my career is over professionally. That's cool. I like that a lot. Um, one of the things that you're seeing uh, NBA players start to do, and they have, um, you know, it's a little bit different uh, environment in the U.S., but you're starting to see some of these guys take like their, you know, these huge followings that they have on social media, and, you know, personally and, you know, beyond just endorsements, uh, beyond just, you know, back in the day, Michael Jordan or Grant Hill would, you know, get in a Sprite commercial or something like that. You're starting to see a lot more athletes um uh either take like equity positions um uh in companies or start you know like owning companies outright um i know we've talked in the past uh about you know different um vc opportunities and things like that um i was curious and i don't i don't know if we even you know mentioned that this would be you know part of the discussion but i'm curious are there opportunities like that in turkey like is that something that like you're like looking at as well beyond just the basketball camps um as uh you know as you know all the things that you're doing is growing and you know it becomes more accessible to to be a part of companies rather than just being like a uh a spokesperson for it like it has in the um, past well I'm always looking for options and opportunities where to take Gular Legacy in the future. But at the same time, with basketball being my first priority to play, um, I'm going to, I'm waiting for my options for the end of my career on where to bring it uh, as far as the company goes. And I know that in Turkey, if I want to grow or if I want to increase my exposure as far as basketball camps or other stuff goes, I need to work with a lot of different companies and I need to maybe have some kind of relationship with foundations and federations of basketball in Turkey. And I'm looking into it, my options, I'm planning along the way, but at the same time I'm taking my time so I don't take my priorities and I don't take my eyes away from what my priorities are at this point. On the other side, um, 
since again 2011 and 2012, I have been uh, actively be a part of being an angel investor in Turkey. And since I think our talk a uh, year and a half, two years ago, I think at total right now I have 12 investments that I'm a part of financially and as a mentorship. And I've put myself in a position in Turkey and Turkish startup ecosystem in a place where um, I'm looking for opportunities to make sure the ecosystem itself grows and make sure that Turkey creates a lot of stories where um, nice exits happen. Um, now, I at the same time know directly from basketball, without failures, there's not much success happens. So um, I'm also hoping to see a lot of failures along the way too. So a lot of people can learn from it. And... That's the position that I'm in right now. And as you said before, you know, a lot of NBA players trying to, you know, diverse their portfolio, diverse their financial gains. They're looking into angel investing and they're looking into um, the things, the value that they can add to some of these ecosystem players. Because, you know, when you look into the top players in the NBA, including Kobe Bryant, who is a great speaker in the cartoons and in the, the productions that he's doing is working in a lot of production about sports. You know, you're looking into LeBron James being vocal in Nike and its decisions and a lot of other stuff that he's doing in the startup ecosystem. And I knew, I know also, you know, Steph Curry with Under Armour, he's vocal. And at the same time, he's looking into the investments in the startup business um, so I think that that's a good example. And I think for a lot of athletes in Turkey to look into it, we need a lot of exit stories that happening because without them, not many people will join, uh, from the investment opportunity side of things. And I'm hoping that I am one of those guys who is paving the way for more people to come. That's uh, I think I think you've aptly named your your company then Guler Legacy. <laughs> so yeah, you're uh, hopefully building something here, and it's cool to see kind of the the start of it. Yeah. So, um, I think I think those are all the questions I've got for you. Anything uh, anything you wish I would have asked you? Um, you can ask me when oh, we're gonna it? run an ultra marathon. <laughs> yeah. That's a, that is a good question. When are we going to run an ultra marathon? Well, let's wait three, four years for it. Okay. No, one thing I might add, um, I'm, I have been following with, as I said in the beginning, uh, some ups and downs you had in your business side. But at the same time, I think what you have been doing with the ultra marathons that you're running and all the schools that you've been uh, building all, all over the world, I think that that's a great cause for you to, one, meet a lot of new people along the way. One of them is myself, and I'm glad to meet you, even though we haven't met personally. I'm hoping to have you as a guest in Turkey sometime soon. And two, I think that you're doing something good for your body, even though I think running in Antarctica is not good for your body in <laughs> no way possible. I saw the video and I was just like, he should be regretting his <laughs> decisions at this point. But no, I think so, I think yeah. you should be proud of yourself for what you have been doing and uh, keep up the good work. And hoping that um, 
there is an Ironman event here in Turkey. I don't know if you're interested in okay. Ironman, but I know that okay. I know that there should be some ultra marathon and some kind of similar stuff in Turkey. We we will look into it and have you as a guest. That where one um, we can hang out, go to basketball games. You can come to my game if possible, and f- have a chance for you to see Istanbul, one of the best cities in the world. And two, maybe you, you're running an ultra marathon for a similar cause that we can create in Turkey. All right, I, I like the challenge. Let's talk about it. Uh, Iron Man is still uh, undone on my impossible list, so I need to uh, I need to do that at one point or another. So um, this is awesome, man. Thank you for uh, jumping on the call. Do you want you mind telling people where they can find out uh, more about you if they have. Uh, they want to follow you on Twitter, Facebook, um, or in, website? On Twitter, on, on, on all social media, um, it's my name and last name, Sinan Gular, S-I-N-A-N-G-U-L-E-R. Uh, I think if you add a, a 32 to that, that's my YouTube channel. Uh, most of the stuff that I'm doing right now mainly are in Turkish, as you end up seeing most of it. Um, but at the same time, <laughs> I tend to share once in a while some English content on it also. Um, those are the places that you can find me and you can find a lot of the content that I put out. I do have a, I, I'm on the construction part of rebuilding uh with the content being both in English and in Turkish so that I can share a lot of stuff. Uh, for for possible viewers on the on the other side of the of, of the world um and that's it cool man um and then guler legacy and gulerlegacy.com uh, is the website and at the same time i think all of the social media names are guler legacy also all right i'll put those in the show notes so everybody can easily get to those um Awesome, man. Well, we will. Uh, we let's talk more about uh, a potential uh, something in Turkey. Mm-hmm. And uh, thank you f- for finally doing this. I know we've been trying for <laughs> months now to do this, and uh, it's finally good to sync hey, up. Hey, you and I both show that anything is possible. So uh, I'm I'm very happy to have this conversation with you. Thank you for making me part of the you know your impossible team. And thanks for having me. Awesome, man. Let's do it again sometime All right. soon. All right. There we go. Episode number two in the books. If you guys are liking the podcast, I know I say it every episode, but it helps us out a ton if you leave a review. So head on over to iTunes or Google Play, leave a review, and tell everybody what you think about the podcast. It's the number one way more people find out about us, and it's also how we can reach more people and help them change their mindset uh, in order to push their limits and do something impossible. Uh, If you guys want to support the show, you can do it in a couple different ways. Uh, Cold shower therapy. Uh, You can download the app. Do five minutes, cold showers, 30 days. See if it changes your mindset. I guarantee it will change your mindset and change your life. You can download the app and you can join thousands of other people that are doing the cold shower therapy challenge. You can try to beat the streak, but at this point, it's over 1,200. You got some work to do. So you can check that app out. Uh, It's a number one way to change your mindset. It's absolutely free. Go check it out. 
Also, Movable app. If you're an athlete, you're trying to get stronger, you're trying to recover from an injury, or you're just an office worker who's trying to hurt less throughout the day because you're sitting down all the time, check out MoveWellApp.com. It's got a bunch of routines that are all under 15 minutes that you can do in your living room to help you feel better, get stronger, have less pain, and if you're injured, you can recover from injuries faster. This is an app that I wish that I had when I got hurt, and I didn't have it, so I built it, and uh, it's free to download, free to try out. Uh, It's a couple dollars a month if you want to subscribe for some of the extra. um, It's a couple dollars a month if you want to subscribe for the extra routines uh, that we have available, but it's your personal mobility coach. You can take it with you anywhere, and it's awesome. It's movewellapp.com. So, That's all I've got for you guys today. I hope you enjoyed the show. Until next time, keep pushing your limits, do something impossible, and of course, boom.